Warning! The Bone Bad Show is intended for adults only and contains bad words and other yucky stuff that may make some people very angry. So watch out! Think you remember the obscure 80s show? (laughs) Think again. The Obscure 80s Rewind, a new, improved, sleeker version of your old favorite, is coming at you every week. Join Jay, Stu, Mike, and the occasional guest host as they get down and dirty with your favorite films, music, television, and more, all from the decade that rocked. Look for us on iTunes as the Obscure 80s. That's right, if you were getting us before, you should be getting us now. And you don't even have to change your feed. You can also look for us online at Obscure80s.com and Pinnacle.com. The Obscure 80s Rewind. We're here to help you get your 80s fix. Bone Bat Podcast, where you can listen to Steve and Gord. It's a kick-ass digital broadcast, where we've got dick jokes galore. Bone Bat. One, two, one, two, fuck you! What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 31 of the Bone Bat Show. This is Steve. This is Gord. How you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing. I'm I'm doing great. I, I am doing great in a pissed off kind of way. I am brimming. I am just chock full of pissed offitude. And at the same time, I, I'm so excited about this show. Me too. You know, it seems like it's been a long time since we've actually done a normal show. We've been doing all these extra shows with tons of interviews and all this stuff and it's been a long time since we just kind of sat down and kicked it scratched our belly had a beer talked, talked about talked what pisses bit. us off yeah yeah dude let me and, tell you you know do we could you have better music to get aggro about that's than, the thing i mean we got the best music for being pissed off this week i am completely thrilled to be able to feature this episode the mighty big black Big Black. 
one of the Chicago's best. Chicago's finest. Yeah. Mr. Steve Albini was kind enough to give us permission to use his brilliant work. And uh, we're using it. That's it. Absolutely. So you're going to get a big old dish of Big Black. Uh, Keeping help. Mid-show, we're going to feature a couple of really incredible songs and uh, give you a little rundown on the band's history and where you can buy their recorded product. So I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, enjoy it. Enjoy it like like an expensive donut. Because you, you know what pisses me off? I'm going to get right into this. You know what pisses me off? What pisses you off, dude? Every Saturday... Throw the kids in the car. Kids run out. They get in the car. We go get donuts. It's like a, a thing to do on Saturday. I've been with you on one of these donut runs. I believe you have. Yeah. So, so the the regular thing that happens is, kids run out, get in my car. We go get donuts. For some reason, kids ran out and got in my wife's car. All right, no big deal. She drives a Honda. I drive an Acura. They're all essentially the same. So I grab uh, the key to my wife's car. We go. We get donuts. Get back into the car, start the car, drive it home, get it home, and go to turn off the car, the Honda, and I realize I have jammed my Acura key into the Honda ignition. Oh, shit. And and started it, and didn't even notice. I mean, it wasn't like I struggled to shove it in there. It, so it fit okay, because I've, I've kind of done that with, with, you know, we have two different Toyotas, and I've tried to put the one key in the other, and it doesn't even really fit. Yeah, or you like you're, you get a rental car, you accidentally just try to stick your regular key in the rental car, and it doesn't yeah. work. Yeah, no, this whoop right in, started right up, boom, which might tell you something about the quality of the uh, Honda ignition security system. So you get home, <laughs> and I cannot. I you cannot can you can turn start the car with like a bobby pin or a quarter, Dude. pretty much any piece of metal, a paper clip. Might not even have to be metal. It's cinder block, <laughs> really old fruit leather. <laughs> Yeah, so I can't get the key out. So there we are. So I had to take the car to the Honda dealer. I couldn't take it to my mechanic because it's the weekend, and my mechanic is closed on the weekend. So I had to go to the dealer. Oh, not a locksmith? Couldn't a locksmith handle that? Oh, you know, I figured it was going to... I really didn't know what was going to be involved. And I figured that they were going to have to re-key something, and it was going to need secret Honda codes and whatever. Yeah, maybe. I should have thought about the locksmith. Then with an alarm system, yeah, maybe, maybe a locksmith couldn't do it. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. But what I do know is when it was all said and done and I got the key out, it was twisted into a pretzel and my wallet was $156 lighter. Oh, shit. Yeah. And really, <laughs> my wife was was pretty unimpressed with me. <laughs> if, you, if you ever want to really just make your wife think you're a dumbass, figure out a way to spend 156 bucks buying donuts because that's essentially what I did. <laughs> so this is really uh, what pisses her off. Yeah, well, we all know. I think it's well established <laughs> that I am what pisses her off. <laughs> Shit, I'm sorry, dude. Yeah, uh, so. Well, what can you... Speaking of things that cost you money, I, I've got a big old tale that I, I kind of been bottling up for a while. And it's one of those things that I, I probably would have let go, but something popped up with it the last week. So I'm going to try to keep saying these things. It sounds like you had a penis surgery that went bad. Nah, it, it's a. Uh, it's a sprawling tale, but I'll try to I'll try to keep it brief. brief. So, uh, three or four years ago, in one of my various hobbies, I uh, met a fella who uh, is a mortgage broker by trade, and I uh, got to know him. seemed like a cool guy, and uh, I at the time I was looking into refinancing the house. 
So I got in touch with this guy, you know, asked him a few questions, uh, and we, you know, I ended up working with him. He refinanced our house, and uh, everything went very smoothly, like great customer service. I could get him on the phone. He was, he was just, did a really good job with it, and I felt really comfortable. So we closed that deal out. House is refinanced. We're saving money. Everything's great. Uh, this last winter, December, it's a couple years later. And I get a call from the guy, and he says, hey, uh, you know, the rates are really low right now. You ought to think about refinancing again. I wouldn't normally say this, but you probably never, if you do it now, you probably never need to refinance your house again. The rates are that good. You, we, we just, you know, you don't see them that low this often. I say, okay, well, you know what? Things are busy in the holiday season with my work. Um, I'll get back with you right after the first of the year, and we'll see what we can do. So... We come back and we start the, the refinancing process. We uh, have the inspector come out. They do an inspection on the house. Then uh, all of a sudden, these kind of little hiccups start happening where the guy, oh, there's some kind of thing. They're reviewing the, they're reviewing the, uh, the accounting thing, and they want to ask more comparisons in the neighborhood because of what's going on with the economy. Okay, I get that. <laughs> Then the Give your uh, account number to Bernie Madoff. Right. Then the inspector took longer to come back. And basically what ended up happening was, you know how you like lock a rate yeah. for a set amount of time? Well, <clears throat> all this stuff with the late inspector coming back and all that stuff ended up resulting in our lock lapsing. So you got a lapse lock. Right. So when we went back to to we couldn't get that rate anymore basically. So the rates rate had have now gone, gone up. up. Right. Because so that was these guys right. weren't doing their jobs. Right. And, and you know the the communication was pretty shitty towards the end. He wasn't really getting through to me. And I'd call, I'd leave messages, I'd email nothing. So then okay, finally all right, this didn't work out, but it's gone through now. Everything's fine. So now um, we're going to go ahead and, you know, I'm really sorry. I'm going to try to make it up to you somehow out of my end so that it comes out, you know, proper. Okay, fine. So then about a week later, we're supposedly going through the process, and I don't hear anything from him. I email him, nothing. Another week goes by, I email him again. What's going on? Nothing. The guy has so he's totally, just totally fallen off the face of the, he the is, planet. He, the mortgage broker has totally disappeared. On the one hand, I'm pissed because this is a business deal. I went into his office and signed a contract that I was going to do business with him, and nothing's happening. He's not getting in touch with me. He's not returning my calls. On the other hand, I'm worried about him because I sort of know the guy a little bit, and he seemed like a good guy, and I hate to see you know anything him have problems or anything like that. So ends up a, another week goes by. I go into the office that he is in, and I speak with the other people in the office. And the guy's like, you know, he's disappeared. We haven't heard from him. We don't know if he's live, dead, what's going on. I say, okay, well, what's going on with my deal? Well, I'll check into the loan provider and see. Well, after so long, if there's no answer with the loan provider, they basically close down the account and they don't do anything with it. So we basically had to start the refi from scratch and lose another eighth of a point. Oh, man. In this process. So this has been like two months now, and I'm pretty infuriated. But we finally, the, the new guy gets us settled. We, everything gets finished and whatever. So it's finally done. We ended up losing a quarter point, but in the end, the refinance, we're still saving money. Not as much as we would have, but we saved some money. So Luckily, your house is only worth $10,000, right. so it's not that much money. So a couple of days ago, the guy posts in a forum having to do with the hobby that we share. 
Wait, and which guy? The original guy? The original mortgage. The guy that disappeared in costume. Yes, the guy who disappeared. Uh, a post in a in an internet forum saying, gee, guys, sorry I went dark there, but uh, last year was tough. Uh, you know, the office I was in, I, I was having problems financially there, and I went through a divorce and whatever, but my, I'm really happy with how my life is now and everything's fine. And I'm... I'm That's great. Where's my money? Instantly white-hot pissed for two reasons. Number one... Because, basically, the guy cost me and my family money. And number two, because the guy didn't bother fucking reaching out to me. All he had to say was, you know what, Steve? I'm having some problems right now, and I really can't handle your thing, so I'm going to hand it off to another gentleman in my office before things start lapsing or we have a problem where the account has to be restarted from scratch. I'm going to hand this off and do right by you. Instead... I'm of the opinion that the guy totally dicked me. Now, I'm glad to know that he's alive and that all's well with his life now, but I'm pretty fucking pissed with how I've... Because I feel I was shabbily treated in a bu- this business transaction. No, it's, From it's someone I'm more or less... You know, not my best friend. Yeah, but somebody I considered I was on friendly terms with. And the guy dicked me. So that's what pisses me off. Yeah. Yeah, that, that would piss me off, too. Hey, and if you're listening to the show, screw you, mortgage man. Oh, fuck. Yeah, it's just one of those deals, you know, and, and it's what when the hell is going on with ethics these days? I mean, I don't think it's too much to ask to expect somebody to treat you as professionally as you would treat them. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. People, nothing is working out anymore. Nothing seems to be working right. Yeah, I, it pisses me off. You know what else pisses me off? What? The word ginormous. <laughs> What the fuck is up with... It does. Well, what is wrong with the words gigantic or enormous? What don't those words communicate that it needed this additional word to be formed out of the two of them? To uh, to me, all that says is that, yeah, I'm fucking... I think I'm cute. So I'm going to use the word ginormous. We need to to combine that with a third word to give it a, a better definition. Maybe a little bit more specific definition, but I think it will come into common usage and we can be the proud owners of this new word and that's vaginormous. <laughs> you see, I, I think that some women's group would be offended by that. Yeah, well. Especially those with enormous vaginas. I think that if the shoe fits inside. <laughs> <laughs> so. Hey, speaking of squeezing inside, you know what I really, really, really hate? What's I that? mean, I really hate it. It, it. it pisses me off so much that I avoid it probably to my own detriment, and that's dental work. Oh. I mean, I, I hate getting the whole tooth cleaning thing. I hate having people reach into my mouth. Freaking hate it. I had, to have, I had to have a root canal for the first time in my life. I didn't even know what it was going to evolve. I thought they'd knock me out or something, but essentially it involves them putting like a a big rubber block under your molar so you can't close your mouth for an hour and then they drill a hole through the top of your tooth oh. and then they take these these little rat tail files and just like scoop and, and grind out all the goo that's inside your tooth you know, all, everything that used to be a nerve that's now like an infected mass of, of deadly bacteria they do that for an hour it's so invasive and crappy and god I hate that I would, I would rather now, I don't know for a fact, but I, I'm going to I'm going to postulate here that I would rather have a proctological exam than have dental with them. With a router. 
Well, I don't know. I mean, a proctological <laughs> exam is just a fi- finger. It can't be that bad. In fact, hold on. All right. <laughs> I'm doing the next part of the podcast, with, um, giving myself a proctological exam. <clears throat> it's a little uncomfortable. It's it's not as bad as, as you know dental work, though. All right, hold on. I'm going to compare that. I'm going to compare that. Oh, uh, you see? This is a lot worse. <laughs> this is not good at all. I, oh, that's hot. God, I wish I would have used a different finger. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, oh that's, man. Yeah, I need a drink. That's, that's terrible. So speaking of bodily excretions, uh, <laughs> have, you, have you seen this new... I, I was re- looking through the, the magazine the other day, and I see this ad for a Is product a called... Magazine? No, it wasn't really. It, oh. But the, the ad was for Dial Magnetic Body Wash with Wait, pheromones. Mag- with pheromones. With pheromones. So this is like soap for your t- to wash yourself, but it's got pheromones in it. Like the fucking youth of today is so genetically weak that they can't produce <laughs> their own pheromones. Did it say what? When kind I was of a teenager, I had pheromones coming, no problem. That was not an issue. Because that's that's something that insects use to communicate. They communicate by scent. They use pheromones, exactly. and it's not and, all and they, they try to sexual g- attraction. And right. They can communicate a whole bunch of different things with pheromones. Right. So the you idea get like some fire ant pheromones that say, um, you know, there's food 300 meters to the left of here. Right. And evidently, this that. body wash is supposed to give off the pheromones so that women think you are in some way more attractive. But I mean, yeah, I, I don't see that helping me any. No. I, well, certainly not at this stage, but even as a youth, I, I don't, I do not get that. No, the you only pheromones that work necessary. for me is if they could somehow shoot out and stick in people's eyes. <laughs> thereby <laughs> kind of like them. a Zerg in the StarCraft. Exactly. <laughs> Zerg pheromones. Shit. Yeah, that kind of pisses that's me pretty, off, too. What is a world What is it with people? You know, I managed to attract my, the woman that would eventually marry me. Uh, using nothing but dial soap, no, not dial, uh, ivory soap and uh, suave shampoo. And, and I still managed to hook up with a chick that was way out of my league. <laughs> there you go. Dude, so what? Are we go- Is this on? This is on. So is it time for my political rant? Because yes, I'm pissed. It is. Uh, here, here's the deal. I was, I was originally going to say something about crazy ass Sarah Palin and, and how the... You know, the, oh, the wait a Speaking what? of Sarah Palin, let's let's back up. There is one more thing that pisses me off. Remember that right. zombie the zombie walk I talked about a few weeks ago? Yeah, yeah. So during that zombie walk, while they're announcing that, at some point the guy makes like some joke about Sarah Palin. And I'm thinking, really? You you can't fucking let the politics go for five minutes? Everything has to have a fucking Palin joke in it? I'm so sick to death of everybody just insinuating politics into fucking everything. They, I, I just do. I don't see the reason for it. Hey, I'm in a fucking zombie walk. But that's not the only thing that pisses me off about the zombie walk. So it turns out we held that record for maybe about a month, and then in Britain somebody else topped the record already by like a hundred people. Jeez. So oh, not but... only what isn't it held by the country, the U.S., the United States, the country that invented the zombie film <laughs> with George Romero, but it's it fucking. In Britain, and well, really, of course they had yeah, the, the Seattle guys had to Haitian chase guys. the Guinness people down to get the certi- certification at Comic Con, yeah. and the Guinness people were actually at the event in Britain. Well, they they live a lot closer to that. Still, though, 
I mean, it's like they knew it was going to be a fate of con- I call foul. I think it's a conspiracy. Five. I want to see the fucking papers. <laughs> the zombie papers. Anyway. Oh, zombie yeah, that kind of pisses me off, too. Okay, back to Palin. Your All political right, so, rant, sir. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to talk about how we should be having a discussion instead of just, like, saying crazy shit and yelling. Just we. I'm not going to talk about how we should be more civil and and how people... People are sheep. You can you can make up any crazy ass thing you want, and there is some group of loudmouths that'll believe you. Uh, you know, Sarah Palin says death squads, and then people start screaming about death squads in the healthcare. What? Just I'm I'm, I'm pleading with y'all, mellow out. I, and and this sort of brings me to what I am going to talk about because everyone's sick of listening to the healthcare debate. But what I'm sick of is people yelling about things they know nothing about when it comes to the government. They have no idea what the government does. They just know that they kind of, it makes them mad. And I, this is what I heard. I heard a farmer, a farmer who's upset because they aren't going to get as much water as they, they need to raise their crops, right? Okay, that's a legitimate bitch. Sure. But here's the thing. This farmer is out in the middle of a desert, and they're like, they, they said... We need to get the government out of the business of farming and let us farm. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, aren't you farming sub-government subsidized crops and getting your electricity because of the rural electrification project? And where are you getting that water? You're not like on the river, dude. You're, you know, getting it from a ditch that was dug by the government that's got water when you need it because of a government dam. And then you ship your crops out on a federal highway. And you get paid for your crops using cash that's backed up by the federal government? You know, if you want to live in a place where there's no government, where, where the government will truly get off your back, and you can have, do whatever you want, you can have a, an AK-47 with a 50-round banana clip and drive 100 miles an hour and no, one, no government intervention, you know, go to Somalia. That's, <laughs> that's what it's like when the government gets off your back. So, people... Big government, not necessarily good. Invasive government, it's a bad thing. But think about, this is a government for the people, by the people. And it does a lot of good shit. We need we need a certain amount of government. You don't like living where there's no government? Go to the middle of Yemen. Go to the Swat Valley. Go, go out in nowhere Afghanistan. That's what no government's like. So I'm not saying go one way or the other politically. I'm just saying use your head. Think about what the government really is before you go saying you don't want any more of it. And that is my political rant for the week. Wow. Solid, man. Nice effort. Man, I'm, I'm pro-government. What's next? <laughs> All right. This well, is, let's... Uh, on that this note, is a piss-off episode, isn't it? This man? is. Yeah, it's aggro. Makes me want to just burn stuff. So on that note, let's uh, listen to a big black tune. This song is uh, for anybody who lived in a small town, a town where... There's nothing really to do but maybe drink, have sex, and burn stuff. This is kerosene.
this town Live here my whole life Probably come to die in this town Live here my whole life Never anything to do in this town Live here my whole life Never anything to do in this town Live here my whole life Probably learn to die in this town Live here my whole life Nothing to do, sit around at home Sit around at home, stare at the walls Stare at each other, wait till we die Stare at each other, wait till we die Probably come to die in this town Live here my whole life There's kerosene around Yeah.
That was Kerosene by Big Black off of the CD Atomizer. Let's go. So Big Black, man. How do you describe Big Black? Ah, here we are again. Some people would call it industrial because it's essentially a guy and a drum machine making music. At least well, it started original. that way anyway, initially. And yeah, I guess you could call it. But I, you know what? I just consider it punk rock because it's as punk as you can get. Uh, and the kind of notable things to me about Big Black were uh, they most often used a drum machine with just a kind of a pummeling attack. With and they very, treat the drum machine like drum solos too. They treat it like a member of the band. Then on top they of that, give it the, credits in the liner notes. Right. They've got twin guitars just of just a caustic abrasive scrape, just scorching paint off of the walls. As uh, the lead vocalist Steve Albini howls these tales of of just the most fucked up things that the human race can do to each other, and it, it's a music on a personal level, not not a big right, you know. And it's level, like it's music that that is just kind of shocking and cathartic in the ways that the best music should be. I think so. Uh, that that's kind of how I would describe them. Uh, Big Black, the, their story kind of started. Uh, in the early 80s when Steve Albini uh, left his uh, home in Missoula, Montana to attend Northwestern University in Chicago. Uh, he was going to be a journalism ma- major, and when he went to Northwestern, he uh, started writing for a local fanzine called Massive. And at the time, he decided he, w- he was getting to bands like Scratch Acid and Naked Ray Gun and some of the Chicago-area bands, and he wanted to start creating his own music. So in the spring of his sophomore year, 1981, he bought a guitar on Wednesday, called a friend who had a four-track recorder and obtained its use in exchange for a case of beer. By Friday, the beginning of spring break, he began recording the Lungs EP in his living room while his peers were off in Florida on uh, spring break. And most of the first uh, record was done in a week. Now, if you think about that, it basically the Lungs EP, which is on the album Hammer Party, or on the CD Hammer Party, you know, that that was in, a way, in many ways an amateur effort. But it starts off with the song Steelworker, which is one of the most terrifying, riveting cuts in the entire Big Black catalog. Just a, a stunning piece of work. And uh, it went forward from there. He kind of used the uh, Lungs EP as a springboard. He released that on Ruthless Records, I believe. And he used that as a springboard to attract other musicians. He was able to uh, enlist the aid of... Uh, guitarist Santiago Durango and bassist Jeff Pizzotti of uh, Naked Ray Gun. So uh, they joined the band. Uh, he continued to use uh, Roland, but they were also joined with uh, drummer Pat Byrne, who was borrowed from Urge Overkill for the Bulldozer EP. A bigger sound, their guitar sound started kind of solidifying. He got that clanky sound by using metal guitar picks that he would notch with sheet metal snips to kind of create the effect of using two guitar picks at once. And the sound got very clanky and very industrial sounding. 
And so he was able to use that with the drum machine to get their very sort of distinctive sound. And uh, there was a quote from Albini that I found was kind of fascinating. That He said in uh, Forced Exposure, uh, I like noise. I like big-ass vicious noise that makes my head spin. I want to feel it whipping through me like a fucking jolt. We're so dilapidated and crushed by our pathetic existence that we need it like a fix. I couldn't say it better myself. A lot of the music that I dig, be it heavy metal or punk, a lot of it has that sort of bracing effect because of the volume and, you know, the crunch that I just crave. And so that was one of the reasons I think why Big Black appealed to me as more of a metalhead pretty early on was their ability to bring that sort of a noise to the fore. So anyway, 1983 brought us the band's third EP, Racer X, which contains uh, several of my favorite songs from the early period, uh, Sleep, the title cut, and uh, their glancing cover of James Brown's The Big Payback. So then after Racer X, Pizzotti had to leave the band, and he was replaced by former Savage Beliefs member Dave Riley. Byrne also left to uh, be replaced by a new drum machine. And their next release that came out would be Atomizer, which is considered in most circles to be the band's finest achievement. Aye. Uh, just an epically powerful album from start to finish. Just brutal. Oh, you know what? Great album, but still, I think Songs About Fucking is my favorite. Really? Okay. Yeah. A couple of things just about the lyrics. There's a couple of quotes here that I wanted to read. That uh, The lyrics started to get really a reputation for being you know, very caustic and abrasive. And they were often, you know, they would be branded as being racist or misogynistic or just plain evil. But, <laughs> you know, he was looking to kind of piss off the hipsters. That it, was no, it was no challenge to piss off the squares. But pissing off the hipsters was something that he enjoyed doing. He found that more intriguing. Uh, to quote him, uh, Steve Albini again, it's bizarre, but it's real. I think the main thing we're all interested in in the subject matter for our songs is sort of like Ripley's Believe It or Not. If you have an interest in things sort of out of the ordinary and you stumble across something like this, you think, this can't possibly be. Uh, also, his approach. I don't really consider myself a singer. I consider myself a vocalist in a rock band, which is a far cry from being a singer. The vocals provide an immediately identifiable human element. I've always figured as long as the vocals provide a conv convincing emotional footing, the literal meaning of the words is trivial. So that kind of you know gives you an idea of where he's coming from with his lyrics. So after the release of Atomizer, they went on tour in Europe and kind of covered everywhere and then switched labels again to the uh, Chicago-based indie label Touch and Go. Uh, they kind of got tired of Homestead Records after they got screwed on a promo that they weren't supposed to release. So uh, they switched to Touch and Go to release the uh, Headache EP, which bore the sticker reading. Not as good as Atomizer, so don't get your hopes up, cheese. Right. I just remember looking at the uh, original Headache EP EP, not the one that uh, you and I got, but the one that's actually got the picture of the, the guy, the suicide victim, the guy that put a shotgun in his mouth. Right. And whenever I think of Headache, that's what I think of. <laughs> well, that year, uh, in addition to the Headache EP, they also reached, uh, released a heartbeat, a single for the song Heartbeat by Wire, which is a cover, and uh, the Rich Man's 8-track tape, which was the uh, compilation of both the Headache and the uh, Atomizer C albums on one CD. Uh, then shortly after that, uh, they did some more touring, uh, both in Europe and the U.S., and they'd kind of come to the conclusion that they were going to hang it up. Uh, their guitarist, Santiago Durango, had uh, decided to attend law school in the fall of 87, and so they started uh, 
basically making plans to wrap it up. They recorded their final album, which is called Songs About Fucking, uh, which is always hilarious if you hear a lot of his live stuff, particularly Last Blast. He says, you'll hear this next song on our latest album, Songs About Fucking, Ask For It, Loud. <laughs> so uh, Santiago Durango was going to go to law school. Uh, Dave Riley was drinking a little bit, and so he was always having problems with Steve Albini, and so it was just kind of decided that they were going to hang it up, which is interesting because they were just sort of you know, getting to a point where had they wanted to, they could have became more popular. But one of the things about Albini was he, he was notable for being kind of uncompromising in his vision. Everything that they ever recorded was paid for out of their own pockets. They were never paid a dime by any record label. They always did it in a situation where they would create the album and then they would license it to somebody to distribute. All, hmm. of, their, all of their tours were booked by themselves, by Steve and the band. So they never were beholding to any other entity while the band was formed. Which is, you know, kind of presaging what you're seeing nowadays with the record yeah. industry. If you can avoid that situation where you're an indentured servant to a large corporation as a musician, that's the way to go. And he actually wrote a fascinating article, which is called, uh, I believe, The Problem with Music, and I'll have a link to it on the, on the site, that it breaks that down, how like a, a band who wants to get signed gets signed to a record deal, and immediately they're behind the eight ball because of all of the ways that the record companies kind of debit you from the get-go for every service that they provide. And it becomes very apparent in reading the article that the record company is there to basically perpetuate the system. It's not there to push music. The music is just the product that the record company is using to survive. And so if a musician is able to avoid that whole system and promote themselves and release their own music, immediately they're going to have a chance to make a living much better than they would if they signed with a major label. So it's, it's, a fa it's a fascinating article, and he was way ahead of the game on this. He was talking about this stuff 15 years ago, and you know now that's kind of becoming more and more the norm. And uh, kind of a, a great quote that uh, he recently said was, the, the delicious irony is that bands are doing better than ever, and big record labels are doing worse than ever. Yeah. We're always talking about how people should support independent music here on the show. Indeed we are. And it's, you know, I, I want to see bands that are unique and different be around for a long time and making cool music for me to check out. Because I've never found the kind of pop music appealing. And, and so to, to see that these, you know, this sort of way for bands to uh, sur survive and succeed to become more prevalent, I think that's really a good thing. All right. So anyway, back to songs about fucking. Uh, released in 1987, it was Big Black's final album. Uh, it was actually released after the band had broken up. And uh, the title, uh, I got a quote here from Grunt Magazine. Uh, so songs about fucking, isn't there a controversy-seeking element to the name? And Albini says, uh, for a start, all the creative decisions in Big Black weren't mine. Songs about fucking was done with the intent of rubbing people's noses in the origins of rock and roll music. So... Hence the name. Songs About Fucking has a couple of really great tunes on it. Uh, Power of Independent Trucking, Pavement Saw, Fish Fry, El Dopa, and uh, a couple of covers. A cover of uh, The Model from Kraftwerk, and also uh, He's a Whore by uh, Cheap Trick, which was also uh, released as a separate single. And then in 1992, they released uh, the CD Pig Pile, which was the band's, uh, the document of the band's final London performance. So it's a pretty cool live uh, album, which was uh, very enjoyable, I found. 
Then uh, in 2006, they actually came back for a reunion. They, uh, there was a party for the uh, Touch and Go Records 25th anniversary celebration. And uh, they came back with uh, Steve Santiago and Jeff Pizzotti to play Cables, Dead Billy, Pigeon Kill, and Racer X in that order. So uh, pretty cool that uh, they reformed for that one show. Uh, a quote from Steve from that show, uh, I know what you're all thinking. What was all the fuss about? <laughs> <laughs> so after the band wrapped up... Um, Basically, a, a couple of interesting things. Uh, one bad thing uh, that did happen was uh, Dave Riley had a stroke in 1993, uh, the bassist. He lost the use of his arms and legs and was in a wheelchair. And he basically, but he had all of his mental faculties the whole time. Since then, he's released both a CD and a book. And he has uh, uh, just a fascinating website called worthlesscripple.com, which is his blog and kind of you know, basically a lot of essays about what he has to deal with on a daily basis. I mean, he was in an institution for a decade with people who didn't care or weren't qualified to handle his problems. And the shit he went through is just kind of emotionally devastating. And, you know, check it out. It's something that definitely bears, you know, paying attention to. And uh, unfortunately, it hasn't been updated in a year, so I hope he's okay. But it's, it's, it's riveting reading. Uh, Santiago Durango released two EPs as uh, Arsenal on Touch and Go label, and he's still a practicing lawyer as of April 2008. He was an Illinois State appellate defender. Appellate defender. Appellate, yes. So that's Unless he's an appellate defender, in which case he does something with computers. Or, or apples, maybe. He's Very just, tiny apples. Yeah, he's an orchardist. And then uh, Steve Albini, of course, he cr- first started a studio in his home after the band broke up. And uh, he went from there. Since then, he's recorded literally over a thousand albums by over a thousand bands. Bands as big as Nirvana and the Pixies and PJ Harvey to anybody can basically go to his studio and uh, book his time if they have the money. And it's, you know, inexpensive relatively for the quality that you get. So, again, you know, look into the independent musicians and trying to make himself available, which I absolutely think is cool. Additionally, you know, his I've always found his philosophy on uh, recording fascinating. He kind of eschews the label of a producer, and he would rather be called the engineer or record or the person, you know, recorded by Steve Albini. Because he, he sees his job as being there to document what the band sounds like and get the most precise you know picture of their sound and to give them the service and the experience in the studio that they want he doesn't see himself as you know someone who should be there messing with the band's process which you know is kind of like the polar opposite of somebody like a bob rock who you know with Metallica ended up playing bass on one of their albums. You know, yeah. he, he had insinuated himself so much into the musical process. Whereas Albini sees him, the antithesis of that, he sees himself as just being there to solve problems and to get the band's sound onto tape, which I, I think is really cool that he has that, takes that approach to it. So I, I've got nothing but a ton of respect, as you can probably tell for the man. Absolutely. Well, you didn't bring it up, but he went on to perform in some other bands as well. He did. You know, he got together with the guys from Scratch Acid. Yep. And uh, was that, what was that? Was that one Rape Man? That one's Rape Man. And then he... Following uh, that. He did Shellac. Yeah, Shellac, which has uh, four CDs now and probably counting. Uh, It's an ongoing thing. So basically they get together. Another cool thing about Albini is the, the fact that 
he has always kind of approached his music as a hobby with that philosophy of, you know what, if I ever had to do this all the time, it would become a job and I would hate it and I don't ever want to resent my bandmates and my music. Yeah, that's that's which is cool. you know one of the you reasons can make money. <laughs> right, you, the one of the reasons that he said on the record for why Big Black broke up was you know what we didn't want to overstay our welcome. Now how many? Yeah, and they left on such a high note. You could tell they. Yeah, how the, many the bands do that? Nobody does that. How many bands would you like to have seen walk away after that great album before they put out you know five albums worth of shit? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, an amazing band. Thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to play your music and, you know, uh, kind of celebrate the band a little bit. Uh, hopefully, uh, we'll come back uh, next year and maybe do a whole show about shellac. So that would be pretty awesome, too. So once again, thanks to Big Black and Steve Albini. And then one last thing uh, I wanted to throw out. Three things that I didn't know about Steve Albini. Three what things. What are those three things? Three things. First of all, he's a huge baseball fan. Did you know that? He, oh, uh, the being, first thing I've ever heard that's made me lose some respect <laughs> for Steve Albini. He also, as of a few years ago, played amateur baseball for the Electrons of the Chicago Metropolitan Baseball Association. Is usually he uh, played second base in the late innings of a blowout. He started one game at second base and, quote-unquote, that was a pity fuck of the first <laughs> magnitude. I'm listed as a catcher but haven't played a single inning as a catcher in two years except in pickup games. So that's kind of interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, second, he loves billiards and poker, and he can oftentimes be found on online forums arguing the finer points of the latter. Third, he's a bit of a gourmand. He's a, you know, I find it kind of refreshing that he's an enthusiastic and unapologetic carnivore when you hear about so many rock folks or musicians that are uh, vegetarians these days. Yeah, well, could Steve Albini do anything but? I mean, he did that song, Steak and Black Onions. The first lyric to the song is, why don't you stuff it, you plant-eating pussy? <laughs> exactly. So that's uh, what I learned in, while I was researching uh, this piece. So there you go. Speaking of research, uh, just to give a little credit where due, I leaned pretty heavy on the book, Our Band Could Be Your Life by Michael Azarad for uh, some of the information for this, uh, as I did in uh, episode 22, our Butthole Surfers episode. So if you don't own that book, you absolutely should. It's fantastic. All right, you can find Big Black's music at fine independent music stores everywhere. Uh, also, uh, Amazon online, check around. Uh, Touch and Go Records has a couple of tracks you can download as well, so check out tgrec.com. So uh, stop by there to uh, take advantage of that. So let's play another cut, dude. Do it. All right, this one's called Racer X.
Hey, this is Jay. This is Stu. This is Mike. What's our show? Oh, we're from the Obscure 80s Rewind. And you are listening to... Mike forgot their names. Steve and Gord over at the Bone Bat Show. What a bunch of dorks. We suck at this. <laughs> <laughs> I look at Mike to give your names and he's like, oh, fuck. Uh, thank god that's over so that was racer x by big black great shit so multimedia triage multimedia triage where do you want to start um where do you want to start should we start with dead girl let's start we We got a couple of actual uh dvd reviews that we'd like to talk about this week two a pair of unconventional zombie films uh tonight uh dead girl and pontypool so let's uh, start with dead girl shall i Dude. synopsize go ahead synopsize so we're gonna we're gonna spoil these things a little bit spoiler um, city so if you uh, don't want to have dead girl or pontypool spoiled for you i jump ahead about i'd say 10 minutes or so and uh when you hear us coming into the uh summer movie wrap up then you can go ahead and rejoin uh otherwise i'll give you a second time's up Okay, we're doing this thing. So, Dead Girl, a 2008 film, which was directed by Marcel Sarmiento and Gaddy Harrell, written by Trent Haga from uh, Studio Hollywood Made. Dead Girl's the story of uh, two kind of high school outsiders named uh, Ricky and JT, who, uh, you know, they're they're the sorts that things don't go that well for them. Um, Ricky has kind of a crush on a popular girl that she was friends with when she was young, but he, she doesn't give him the time of day anymore because she's dating the football player. Uh, JT is kind of basically a ne'er-do-well. And so they decide, because nobody gives a shit about him anyway, that they're going to cut school one day. And they uh, are out walking around, and they decide to stop into this abandoned mental facility that is uh, close by in town. So they, they go into the mental facility, and they're kind of wrecking the place and having a few beers. And they come across this rusted old door and they decide to break into it. So they, they kind of put some, you know, effort into it and get the door open and go in. And inside the room, they find this beautiful, naked, but apparently dead girl strapped to a gurney with a plastic bag over her head. And it turns out that she is the girl's a zombie. Uh, and JT figures to himself that he is never going to find a woman this beautiful at hit with his lot in life. So he basically decides that he's going to rape this zombie. Now, Ricky sort of has more of a moral center, so he kind of takes himself out of the picture. He doesn't want to be a part of it, but things come to a head, and he ends up coming you know, back to the scene. So that, that kind of gives you the setup. I'm not going to ruin the end of the film, um, but, you know, that gives you a setup of where it's at. So what, yeah, did, you, okay, what so did you think of Dead Girl? Let me give you my synopsis. These, these, these guys break into some place, and they find what they appears to be a dead body as soon as they realize that this woman is actually alive. Because they don't realize she's a zombie at this point, that she's undead. They think, oh, my gosh, this poor woman, she's tied up, she's beat up. She needs help. And one of the guys goes, yeah, you know, no, I think I'm just going to rape her. And his friend, who you assert has some sort of a moral center, goes, hmm, I don't think I want to be a part of this. Doesn't run for help. Doesn't call the cops. He just takes off. Yeah, okay, well, yeah, have fun raping the girl. And then the, the whole, pretty much the whole rest of the movie is characters 
raping this girl, zombie girl, or contemplating raping the zombie girl, or talking about how maybe they, they shouldn't be, or maybe they should be. It, essentially, the whole movie is just an excuse to film rape scene after rape scene. And everything they do is so matter-of-fact. It's like, well, you know, I got on top and she started struggling, so of course I hit her a number of times. Like, what the fuck? This movie was just an abusive, disturbing pile of poop on so many levels. There were absolutely no good guys. The, the, the good guy in the movie is, a, is an absolute scumbag, and he's surrounded by even bigger scumbags. The whole thing is, is so, so messed up. When I, when I finished watching it, I was so pissed that the movie had even been made in the first place, that enough people thought it was a good idea to make this movie that it got done. And I almost sent it back Pontypool, thinking that it was like another zombie rape flick or something without even watching it. This film was just the most horrific thing I've ever seen in my life. I'm I'm sorry that I watched the whole thing. I only watched the whole thing so I could review it and safely say, yes, this was the most horrific thing I've ever seen. Awful, awful, totally awful movie. Yuck. Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm a little surprised by that, your, your take on it. Um, I will say that, like, when I was watching it, it's not a comfortable viewing. And afterwards, it was kind of funny. You know, you, you do kind of feel like you need to hose your skull out. I got online and played Left 4 Dead with Brother D and Miss Bren for a little bit. And I was just, you know, a little bit shell-shocked. And they were going, oh, what's up with you? You know, and I was like, oh, I just finished watching Dead Girl. And, it, you know, it, it was definitely fucked up. But I found it also kind of riveting viewing. It was disturbing, uh, but it was also thought-provoking. I mean, what I saw from the film was that sort of there was a comment being made about, like, the haves and the have-nots. At one point, you know, JT is he, he's having this problem with the jock football player guy, you know, figures out what's going on and comes down and is threatening to either bust them or whatever. And he, you know, he, he comes back with them and says, oh, yeah, are, are you, so you're going to bust me, you know, and you'll get in, you'll get busted too. And I'll miss a few, you know, shifts at the gas station and divorce, but you'll miss your whole life. And it kind of felt, you know, it spoke to kind of this character's disenfranchisement to the level of where he truly had nothing to lose. And the fact that he felt that, you know, the best he would ever do was boning, a, was raping a zombie in a basement somewhere which is fucked up beyond belief. So, I, you know, there was that sort of a class thing that was thought-provoking, I thought. And the terrifying thing about it was that, you know, kind of remembering how we were as teenage boys, this felt like, what? I bet you we knew people that if in that situation that happened, they would do that. No. Yeah. There, there is no... Okay, I'm let's telling say you, we knew one that, guy. That humanity, no way humanity just... is that fucked up that if people thought that they could get away with that, if no one would find out, and there was a zombie girl in the basement, that they would totally take advantage of that. Oh, and dude, I find I that I find that, that fucked up beyond belief because I mean, that even, to I mean, me they were was like abusing this corpse too, like beating on it and and putting like when it got so putrid and stinky and beat up that they couldn't even have fun raping it anymore. They put a magazine on its face with a different woman's picture on it. It was just no. Nah. They're, the world is full of messed up people, but if you would have gone to Wairika High School in 1986, you would not have found three guys together that would have 
that would have done that. There's, I don't know. Just, I don't know, man. Maybe I have less of a view of humanity than you do. But maybe so. I just don't see that. I, that, I think there there are fucked up people out there, and that that was what terrified me. Like I said, I found was the film uncomfortable. Yeah, was it horrifying? Yeah, it was. And that's what you look to a horror film for. So I, I wouldn't say, you know, don't see it. If that sort of thing, if you like horrific movies like this, then maybe it's worth seeing. It is thought-provoking, but it is an uncomfortable viewing. I'll definitely give you that. I, You know, I, I think it accomplished what the director set out to do, as fucked up as what that is. And it wasn't without some moments of humor. The scene where... <laughs> I mean, it was a fucked up scene, but there, there's one point where they think that they can, they can recreate what happened here and make another zombie girl, and they tried to kidnap this lady, and she beats the piss out of them. Okay, that was the only good part of the movie. Yeah, that that, that was and odd. when the football player shit his, and when the football player shit his guts out. <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah, was, that was fucked up and gruesome and hilarious in a totally different sort of way. But yeah, those were the, the few light moments in an admittingly very dark film. You know what, though, kind of occurred to me after the fact. Check this out. Think about the similarities between this film and Weird Science. <laughs> okay, you've got two teenage boys who are social outsiders. Granted, you're talking nerds versus juvenile delinquents. They both have unrequited, cr- unrequited crushes on more popular girls that result in public humiliation. Suddenly, through fantastic circumstances, they find themselves with access to a beautiful girl who would be far beyond their means normally. When bullied by more popular boys, they use that excess to try to impress others. And ultimately, they try to repeat the circumstance that created the girl in the first place. Now, isn't that bizarre that these two movies, though, think about it. They they went about it totally different ways. One of them ends up with a lighthearted. Right. Yeah, yeah, totally. But one of them no, ends no, up with you, a lighthearted, fun movie. The difference movie. is, Weird Science was was all that, except they were trying to get a girlfriend. This right. movie was about guys that, that find a victim and want to victimize it. Weird Science was looking for love. This movie was an outlet for hate. Yeah, I can see that. But I'm saying the setup is remarkably the same. No? Yeah, whatever, dude. Enjoy your uh, your rape porn. I'm not saying I enjoyed it. Did I you once? Did. You did. Did I once say I enjoyed it? <laughs> no, you did. You're being kind of a dick. I am. Well, you know what? This movie pissed me off. <laughs> well, I, you know, I get your point. Uh, it, like I said, it was uncomfortable, but you kind of said, you know, the film shouldn't have been made. Yeah. And I don't know be. that I would go that far, that I don't think it's up to me to dictate what art gets created or not. I mean, shit that's uncomfortable for us to view... That happens all the time. The song Jordan, Minnesota is in many ways an uncomfortable listen. But I, I wouldn't say that that song shouldn't exist because I'm uncomfortable no, listening to it. it's uncomfortable because it points out an evil, whereas this movie seemed to glorify it. Glorify this, it or, or, or again, this point out the evil. I'm not saying this or anything like that. I'm just saying that this movie, it, it blows me away that enough people, that there were enough human beings that were either morally compromised enough or just screwed up enough in the head to sign on to this thing and dedicate, you know, time and energy to creating it. You uh, see, I, but I, I and I see it. that similarly that it kind of points out the evil that we see amongst us every day. Yeah, maybe you're right. I mean, enough people sign on to create this pile of steaming violent dog <laughs> shit, so maybe we are all damned. Yeah, so on to movies that don't make me want to kill people. <laughs> 
Okay. So our second film is Pontypool, directed by Bruce McDonald, written by Tony Burgess from his own novel, which is called uh, Pontypool Changes Everything. Uh, and uh, it uh, came from Studio Shadow Shows Entertainment. Uh, the setup here, do you want to synopsize this one? I will synopsize. Set almost entirely in, in a uh, radio studio in the middle of nowhere. It is the story of a, of a zombie infestation. Uh, you see very little action. It's almost all told from these, the point of view of these people that have to hear the whole thing. Um, I'm not going to give away the crux but it's, it's a very cool movie about communication, if nothing else. And it's, it's cool to watch a movie that almost the whole thing, it's a scary movie. And then the whole thing happens in one very tiny enclosed space where almost none of the action is seen. Yeah, almost like a stage play. Yeah, it's like the 12 Angry Men of zombie movies. But very intense, very provoking, very, you know, I, I was just wrapped up in it from the get go. How many times do you say get go in one podcast? I don't know. I haven't said it. I didn't recall saying it. But <laughs> that and basically. Right. We should keep track of the basically's and get goes. Okay. I'll, when I'm editing, I'll be sure to edit those out first. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, oh, sure. I thought it, it was a like great it. movie. Uh, the Well, okay. Again, spoiler. If you haven't seen Pontypool, you'll want to get the hell out of here. The, the one thing, and this one has been out on DVD for a few weeks, so I will come out and say how the affection travels from person to person is through language. So I won't go beyond that, but the, there's one point where the government suspects that it is th- could be through like terms of endearment, which I found just, that to me was terrifying. The fact, I mean, imagine talking to your family without being, and being told instantly, okay, you can't use any terms of endearment. And being able to talk to your family without using them because it's such a force of habit. And to know, knowing that if you do don't do so, that it could mean the death of your family. Absolutely terrifying to me. <laughs> you use a lot more terms of endearment than I do, I guess. I guess I do. I mean, but it'd that's be because terrifying if we couldn't use the word shithead. That's because I love you, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> Snookums. But yeah, uh, I got to say, Grant Massey. The uh, that was the name of the character. Uh, Stephen McCaddy did a fantastic job, I thought, and also yeah, I thought the whole his the producer uh, really well done. The character uh, Sidney Breyer is his real life wife, Lisa Hool. So, oh, really? Yeah. So they and you know they're kind of the the heart and soul of the whole picture. They're yeah. together through the whole thing, and I thought just a brilliant acting job. So I, yeah, I would so definitely see that movie. Absolutely see Pontypool. It changes everything. Right. So, uh, that's the, the end of those two uh, reviews, I guess. Uh, if you're just coming back, uh, I guess we give... Uh, Gord says, skip Dead Girl. I say, see it if that's your cup of tea. Difficult films are your cup of tea. Uh, and uh, both of us give uh, a big thumbs up to Pontypool. Great movie. Okay, let's do a quick uh, kind of a wrap-up of recent summer movies. Uh, we've seen a few things. Just saw G.I. Joe with Thad. And, uh, you know, I wasn't expecting much, and I really enjoyed it. It oh, was good. a bunch of action set pieces. It was fun. And you uh, saw something last week, right? Dude, saw District 9. Yeah? Let me tell you. How was that? Let me tell you. Loved it and hated it. On one hand, District 9 was a, it was an original story, good script, very cool special effects, uh, character development happened crazy action scenes, unusual movie. All those things make me want to go, wow, great movie. But then you know what? They used 
damn jiggly cam. You know, the, the kind of, they're trying to make it look like it's being filmed by a handheld camera, even though there's, there's not a guy, like, in the scene with a handheld camera. But And it sucks, and they did it a lot. So, like any movie now that uses the jiggly cam excessively, I dock it two stars. I'm going to dock it an additional star because there was so much jiggly cam that I actually got freaking headache. The movie actually caused me physical pain. Now, this was right before I had my root canal, so maybe my head was full of infected pus, and it was not as bad as I remember it, but I am, I am sick to death of this damn jiggly cam, and it's because it's overused. It is a technique, but it shouldn't be used in every damn scene. You want It's being used by people that don't have a good idea. Here's a good idea. Go back and watch Orson Welles on the waterfront and watch that long, unbroken shot that it starts with. Check out Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs, that scene in the uh, restaurant where the camera's moving all around. It is not jiggling, but it's bringing you in the scene. Check out A Bronx Tale, the opening scene of that at the restaurant where the camera's going down the table and people are turning and looking at the camera like you are the camera, like you're in the scene, yet no one is shaking the shit out of the and camera, That's, okay? you got to look at the jiggly cam like Hollywood looks at the penis. We need to apply the penis standard to the jiggly cam. And what I mean by that is very few movies have an actual full frontal male penis in them. And those movies that they do, there's a reason to have that penis in there. If because, you wanna, Har- because Harvey Keitel's in it? Because Harvey Keitel is a penis. <laughs> no. But you look at the crying game. There's a shot there of the penis... On purpose. You look at Forgetting Sarah Marshall, it's there for comedic effect. Or Zach and Miriam make a porno, it's there on purpose for comedic effect. But it's not like they take and they go, wow, this movie isn't isn't that good. What can we do to you know bump it up? I know, let's wave a jiggling penis in every single scene. That that would seriously detract from the movie. It it you can't make a uh, a crying game type movie just by putting a bunch of penises in it, okay? And the same thing goes with the jiggly cam, unless there's a really goddamn good reason for it. Knock it off with a jiggly cam. I'm sick of it. Wow. I, I had no idea that that was that much of an issue in that film. I mean, you know, obviously like a film like Cloverfield, when I read reviews and things in advance, I heard that that was a big part of that because the entire story was told by somebody running through the streets with a hand cam. But I didn't yeah, really, I wasn't sense. really aware that, that in uh, District 9 that that was going to be in there. And I've heard a couple it, of podcasts who haven't mentioned it, so I was a little bit surprised to hear you say that. Boo, I lived a surprise. And there, there were a few scenes where it would have actually made sense. In the very beginning, it's shot kind of like a documentary, and the guy is awkwardly talking to the camera, and that makes sense. But then as the movie progresses, there's these, like, battle scenes. It's him, you know, when aliens, and they're fighting, and there's no cameraman around. You know, it pans back, and it just shows these two entities. And then next thing you know, the next shot in the scene is, like, from a handheld camera that's being like clenched in the teeth of an epileptic that's operating a jackhammer during a seven, <laughs> you know, megaton atomic blast. You know, what the fuck is that? It doesn't bring me in the scene. It just looks like you're doing a shitty job filming it. <laughs> All right. Well, duly noted, man. And note the shit out of that, Hollywood. We're <laughs> sick of it. I'm sick of it. Well, yeah, it's a, I, I remember, and I can't remember which of the Bourne movies it was in, but that, that was kind of a problem. And then oh, yeah. the ones Born, following that, that must have been was shook. That it? Yeah, and it was like it was kind of headache-inducing. And then the the later ones, I think, were better about it. Like people had complained, so I, I did recall that being an issue. But uh, like Cloverfield didn't bug me too much, so I'll have to see how uh, 
Because District 9, other than that. So did, I've also heard some people say that it seemed to borrow a bit from Half-Life 2. Yeah. The, 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 the aliens look kind of like the Vortigaunts, is it? They do. They look they look a lot like them. And that, uh, there's that similar sort of a vibe in like the After City. Mm-hmm. But it's, um, you know, the guy made the movie essentially because he made a short film that I guess he just did for fun a few years earlier. Right. And then he, he, he at the last minute, essentially said, all right, let's, let's make a full-length movie out of the way this, this short film. Well, you know how well, that came about. Uh, Peter yeah. Jackson was the producer from Lord of the Rings and whatnot. And uh, basically, they were working on the Halo film. And this guy was supposed to direct the Halo film, and when the Halo film fell through, they turned around and said, all right, well, why don't we make, since we've got all this prep going, why don't we just make this film a full length out of your short District 9? Yeah. Which is interesting if people are saying comparison, you know, from Halo to Half-Life 2. I don't know. Haven't seen it yet myself, so I don't know, but that's an interesting thing. Yeah, I want to like the film, and I want to have all the respect in the world for the guy that was able to pull this together and his original vision and everything else. I, I really do. Jiggly Cam absolutely wrecked it. So for me. taking uh, that taking that out of it, out of the equation, um, one of the things that kind of I don't know if it left me cold, but I was worried that the film was too preachy. Nah, is it? No. Okay. I mean, it has a message, right? And no, not too preachy. Okay. So it's it's not like this thinly failed apartheid treatise that just goes on and on and on. No. Okay. Cool. Well, it's, I definitely want to check it out, and I've been hearing good things. But now I've got a little bit of a pause with the shaky cam issues. So. Well, if you're uh, going to have a root canal, don't go see the movie. Something that doesn't have any shaky cam at all that you should check out is Inglorious Bastards, which I just saw last weekend. Great stuff. It's classic Tarantino. Uh, a shitload of it. It's very interesting the way the, f- the film is set up. There are these like, kind of long scenes, and in a way, it almost feels like the film is just a series of these very long extended scenes with these characters that move through them. Uh, it all kind of takes place in a contiguous sort of a time span, so it doesn't jump around in time like some of his other movies do. Uh, and it builds suspense in just amazing ways. Uh, the dialogue is, you know, brilliant as always. And the uh, there's a character called Colonel Hans Landa, who's kind of this... Uh, this the main Nazi villain in the film, and he's the best screen villain I have seen in ages. His, that performance is absolutely fucking riveting, and you you will just be amazed. I mean, and the guy doesn't raise his voice much in the whole film. It's all done in a very subtle, low key way that you find just chilling. And so it's it's super well done. Films as violent as Tarantino ever gets, just unremittingly violent. But uh, I had a great time watching it. There are funny parts that are built in that kind of release the tension. Uh, you know, some of the complaints about Tarantino, that if you're not a Tarantino fan, oh, it goes on a bit long. I can see people saying that, but I saw it as, you know, it's building suspense. Um, it, some parts are too dialogue heavy that doesn't go anywhere. Well, again, it's Tarantino, so there's a bit of that. But I enjoyed it thoroughly. I had a great time at the film, so I'd say check it out. All right. And Brad Pitt kicked ass. He was amazing. And I'm not a huge Brad Pitt fan, but he was so much fun to watch. He was fucking hilarious. So there you go. Check out Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> what? That, that movie review, it had like, that was like Lord of the Rings of the movie reviews. It had nine separate endings. 
Every time I thought you were done talking about it, you go, and another. <laughs> well, I'm enthusiastic about the film. What can I say? I suppose. All right. So uh, then uh, just wrapping up multimedia triage, uh, both of us bought the new Clutch CD last week. Oh, it's so nice to hear Clutch is making music that's fun to listen to again. They, they had a kind of a, a rough patch there. And they, I'm not saying that this is their best disc, but it's a good disc. It's a, it's a rocking disc, although it sounds an awful lot like uh, other Clutch discs I've heard. Uh. Clutch song. How many riffs did they rip off from themselves to make this, uh, this CD? Uh, quite a few, I think, but it was specifically, it seemed to me, one album. It really reminded me of Elephant Riders. Okay, it really reminded me of Elephant Riders, too. However, listen to 50,000 and stop of Watts. What do you hear? Rats. Listen to the amazing Kreskin, and you will hear Release the Kraken. Huh, you know, listen okay. to Witch Doctor, and you're going to hear the Yeti, which is on Elephant right, Riders, right? right? right. But yeah, that, yeah. This, it kind of cracks me up. But, but it's cool, though. I mean... You know, the last couple of albums, they've got, like, the blues explorations. They brought in the Hammond organ. They had, you know, just kind of a, a lot of stuff that was sort of diluting the, the power that the band always had. And this kind of pairs that back. It boils it down to just the bare essentials of Fallon, Salt, Maine, and Gaster. You know, it's just the four of them rocking out, and I found that refreshing to hear that again. Yeah, it was good. It's it is. It's a much more stripped down sound. I I agree. Like it. So the so, CD is what? Strange Cousins from the West. Check it out. Right. A couple of video game things. I've been playing a little Splosion Man. You've been playing Splosion Man too. I've been playing Splosion Man. Oh yeah, I've been playing Splosion. Splosion Man. Man's a, a kick game. in the ass. Yeah, it's a it's a silly little uh, blow up run around platformer. But it's it it's pretty much giggle inducing. The the way that they animated the little exploding character. Yeah. Basically, it's a puzzle game. You're bouncing through levels and trying to advance. And uh, the only power that the character has is that he can explode. And so when he does so, he essentially can jump in different directions or he can blow things up. And so yeah, you use that. He sticks to walls and he can explode. Those right. are his two powers. And so you can use that. It's very simple and easy. My son's been playing it a bunch, too. And uh, it's a lot of fun. I've been really enjoying it. It's like 10 bucks or something like that. And it's a great time. I'd say check it out. Yeah, speaking of cheap, fun, easy, ridiculous games, Castle Crashers is about, by the time you hear this podcast, new downloadable content for Castle Crashers will be what, out. What, what, what? Like really? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get the Necromancer character, you get uh, one of his minions, you get a, uh, what, a dragon orb, you get a couple of weapons, including a chainsaw, which is nice. <laughs> a medieval so, chainsaw? How does that work? Medieval. I'm... Assuming it's steam-powered. Oh, okay. Well, of course, though, there's alien hominids in the game, too, so I guess That's I can't. That's true. It could be alien yeah, technology. draw my line at technology, right? That doesn't make a yeah. lot of sense. Cool. All right. So that's, I think that's yeah, multimedia triage, then. I will be checking out the uh, additional content for Castle Crashers. That's fucking cool. So can I tell you a filthy joke? Please do. All right. Jesse. Good old Jesse. Jesse took his blind date to the carnival. He said, what would you like to do first, Amber? And Amber said, I want to get weighed. So they ambled over to the weight guesser, and he guessed 120 pounds. And uh, Amber got up on the scale, and it read 117. So she won a prize. So next, they went up on the Ferris wheel. And when the ride was over, Jesse asked again. He said, asked Amber, well, what would you like to do? And she said, I want to get weighed. So back to the weight guesser. And since they'd been there before, he guessed her weight correctly and cost Jesse a dollar. 
So they walked around the car a little bit more, and, and he said, so uh, what do you want to do next? And she goes, I want to get weighed. So by this time, Jesse figured that she was just a nut. And he took her home early, dropped her off the handshake, couldn't get out of there fast enough. So her roommate, Laura, asked her about the blind date. She goes, how'd it go? And Amber responded, oh, whoa, it was wowsy. <laughs> Pretty fun. That, that would have been funnier if her name was Linda. Oh, Linda, it was wowsy. That would have been. You should have changed it. I should have. So this guy wait. Okay, go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish. No, I was going to say, so, so folks in podcast land, when you tell it to your friends, use Winda, not Wola, because you can't, <laughs> that, that R gets in the way of your name. There you go. All right, so this guy wakes up one morning, and he's, he gets up, and like he does every morning, goes in the bathroom to take a leak, and he notices this green ring at the base of his cock. Uh-oh. And, oh, that doesn't fucking look good. So he calls a doctor. He goes in to check it out, and he's, he's sitting there in the waiting room. He walks into the urologist's waiting room, and sits down, and there's another guy sitting there with him. The guy turns in and says, ah, so what are you in for? The guy says, oh, I don't want to go in there. Yeah, come on, you know, who, what, am I going to tell somebody? You're not going to see me again. He goes, ah, oh, well, I... I got this green ring around my cock. And the other guy goes, wow, you know, I got something similar. I've got a red ring around my cock. He says, oh, that's kind of bizarre. He says, well, and right then the, the nurse comes out and says, oh, uh, you know, to the first guy, hey, uh, it's time to come back. Okay, well, I'll talk to you later. So the first guy goes back, and the guy's sitting there. He's all nervous in the doctor's office waiting. And so the, the first guy who was uh, originally in the waiting room comes back out of the office and holds up his thumb, gives him a thumbs up, like, ah, it was, uh, it was fine, no problem. Yeah, take it easy, man, it was all good, I'll catch you later. So he walks out of the doctor's office. So then uh, our, our guy that we're following uh, goes into the doctor's <laughs> office, it's his turn. Doctor comes and, okay, let's, uh, let's see what you got. And the guy pulls his, down his pants and says, oh my God, uh, this is terrible. Uh, your penis is going to have to be amputated. He well? says, well, what? That last guy, he was just in here. He had something similar, and and he, he was fine. What, what's what's wrong? He says, well, there, I'm sorry, sir, but there's a big difference between lipstick and gangrene. Oh, no. So that's our filthy joke of the week. <laughs> Let's uh, get into a couple of things, uh, a couple of thank yous. I'd like to thank uh, Big Black and Steve Albini, again, for uh, letting us use their music. Uh, check out their stuff. Again, at touchandgorecords.com, which is uh, tgrec.com. Uh, also, on the same day that this episode is going live, I would suggest that you check out Obscure 80s Rewind number 7. Why would Because they... you can't get enough Stephen Gord, that's why. Well, there's more Stephen Gord? There's more Stephen Gord. And just as we mentioned Weird Science in this podcast, that podcast, we mentioned the shit out of Weird Science and Oingo Boingo. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Jay uh, Emmett, Stewie D, and uh, Questionable Mike were kind enough to invite us on their show for a segment. And uh, we talk about weird science and Oingo. So it's kind of funny how that worked out, huh? Yeah, it was fun being on the show. They have a nice place. They we do. Gotta clean this place up. Make it look like that. It is. And uh, Our you place know, is kind of a pit. Gord got kicked in the family jewels. <laughs> it was beautiful. <laughs> anyway. So, uh, yeah, check out Obscure 80s Rewind number 7 and uh, hear more Stephen Gordon. Thanks for inviting us on the show, guys. That was fucking awesome. Uh, and then we have a contest running right now. If you may remember, we have a contest contest. A contest contest. For the uh, entire recorded catalog from Burning of Eye. And the winner is Jacob H. from Chico. 
our boy from the Pinto Gigante podcast. Oh, How Gigante. fucking cool is that? Yeah, it's not just because we love him. He actually had a really good idea. He did. So we're going to hold on to that right now. We've got something pretty cool coming up. We're waiting for a cool prize to come in. So um, We're supposed to be getting a cool prize to give away. You guys are not going to believe how cool this prize is. I, I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to give you any hints except it rhymes with headphones, <laughs> and they have skulls on them. Fucking sweet. So we'll be saving that contest for episode 32, which is going to be our two-year anniversary show. Ah, uh, you better get me something nice. Yeah, you got to get me something nice. It's been two fucking. We've been doing this show for two years now. You believe that? Amazing. Jeez. That much Two content, whole years. you think we could cobble and, it together and make one and good And we are coming with the goods. Huh? The musical guest will be MC Frontalot. Oh, yeah. Very cool. Also, I'm going to be touching base with him at PAX, the video game convention here in Seattle in two weeks. So we'll have an interview with him for the show. Also, I'll have a little bit of coverage, uh, video game coverage from the convention, which will be cool. Uh, and we'll have some great stuff. Hopefully, we'll have some feedback and people calling in. So uh, I'm looking forward to a great show with episode 32. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. So our usual bullshit. Uh, give us a call at 206-203-3115 or via email at steve at bonehand.com. You can find new content from me every Sunday on bonehand.com. And you can find new cartoon every Thursday or thereabouts on mightywombat.com. Also, you can find my column monthly in Davis Life Magazine. And if you are interested in buying Mighty Wombat t-shirts with your favorite cartoon on them, now is the time to let me know because I'm, I'm talking to people. I'm working deals. I'm trying to get some of my cartoons on some high-quality t-shirts. Not this Cafe Press stuff, but good ones. If you got a favorite cartoon you think needs to be on a T-shirt, let me know. Cool. That's pretty pretty sweet. You gonna hook a brother up? <laughs> you pay like everyone else. Nah, fucking asshole. All right. Also, you can uh, of course follow me on Twitter. I'm Bonehand. Uh, join the Bone Bat forums. Uh, there's like zero waiting over there if you want to chat <laughs> with Stephen Gord. So uh, please join the forums because uh, right now I'm just basically diddling Russian spammers. So anything you could do to add to the conversation would be greatly appreciated. Uh, also, uh, if you like what we do here, please give us a review on iTunes. You can vote for us on Podcast Alley, or even more important, tell a friend. If you got a friend, like the Bone Bat Show, fucking tell them about the Bone Bat Show. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. And that's it. I think we're done. So, for the Bone Bat Show, this is Steve. And this is Gordon. We, we do, do what we, we like. like. Ah!
but there's a reason to have that penis in there. 